Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be here to just learn from you, to study you, Lord, to begin to walk with you better, Lord. Lord, that's our goal, is to walk with you better, Lord, so that we can be a blessing to others, Lord. Show us how to um, just hear your voice, Lord, and hear specifically what you need for us to do, Lord, because I know so many of us have so many different things that are going on in our, in our different lives, Lord. I thank you for speaking to us individually, Lord, through these words, Lord, and I give you praise for everything that you're going to do today in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, welcome to Congregation Beth Adonai, one of the greatest congregations on this planet. I believe that. I really do. I really do. Um, today we're going to be talking about the sin of the golden calf and locating your mask and a lot of things. That's the, the big deal that I want to talk about. Um, what is the significance of the sin of the golden calf and what does that have to do with the mask? Does it have anything to do with the mask? Well, at least that's my goal. At least that's our goal to get to. Um, I just wanted to start off just by talking about why, why do we study anyway? Why do we study the scripture? Why do we st study the Torah? Just to build some foundation. And I like to go back to think about why I started studying the Torah and start studying the scripture. Um, honestly, because I was in high school and I just wanted answers. Because I was really confused. I don't know if anybody else had those feelings, but there were times I'm just so confused about life. Like, what should I do? Should I go left? Should I go right? People would say things about certain things, and it would just frustrate me. Because, honestly, I just didn't think they know what they were talking about. That might be kind of mean. But that's just the truth. I just I didn't believe a lot of people. I was very um, untrusting in people, and I really wanted to know answers. So I sought out to find answers. And the answers that I sought out are in the scripture. And the scripture gives you answers that are, I say, the right answers. When I say the right answers, I'm saying they align with our reality. And I think that's so important when you're studying the scripture. Because if not, you're studying something that's, I don't know what we're studying. We need to study something that we know is going to change our life. And I'm not studying this to, to preach a message. I always like to say that because I don't do, I don't, I don't learn it just so I can have a great message so I can share with people. I'm learning things so that it will change my life. It changes my whole world. It changes your culture. Because if not, if you're just reading it like it's just something to read, like an inspirational book, then it's, it's just an inspirational book. But you should read the scripture like this is God speaking to me. Whatever God says I can do, I can do. Whatever he says I can have, I can have. However he says I'm supposed to live, that's how I am supposed to live, period. So if he says to, and sometimes people ask me certain questions like, why do you not, I had this question all the time, especially in school, why do you not celebrate Halloween or different holidays? Because you know that one's coming up. And I always like to flip the question back on them and mess them up and say, why do you celebrate Halloween? And a lot of times they go, uh, I don't know. Great. And I just walk away sometimes and I enjoy that moment. Because a lot of times I think we do things and we don't know why we do it. We just do things because it was out of a habit. Maybe because our parents did it, our parents' parents did it, and they just did it all their lives. And we thought, okay, this is just what I'm supposed to do. No. We need to, I think we need to be born again before we're born again. 
And what I mean by that is we need to be born again from our own culture so that we can look at the evidence for ourselves and make conscious decisions to follow God. Because if not, we're doing it for somebody else. And if we're doing it for somebody else, it's just not going to be. You ever try to motivate somebody to do something that they really didn't want to do? Yeah, that's frustrating, right? You're trying to get them to do something that you believe in. Well, that's a, I don't want to say it's a waste, but it's hard. And you keep, you want to motivate people, but you want them to be motivated because they want to do it. And that's something that I'd like to stress with anybody I talk to is you got to know it for yourself. That's why when I first started studying scripture, it took me over three years to go through the scripture completely first. Because I wanted to know for myself. I asked everybody that I could find anywhere I thought knew about the scripture. And they would give me answers and i go, okay, great, thanks. And somebody else would give me another answer and i okay, that makes sense. But it didn't connect. Sometimes it connected, sometimes it didn't. So I think it has to be personal. So what we're studying today, I want this to be personal. And I wanted to talk about the, relation, the relationship between God and Israel. Because that's what this is all about, the sin of the golden calf. It's about the relationship between God and a people that we call Israel because God dealt with Israel. And God loved on Israel, but Israel, in a sense, betrayed God at the sin of the golden calf. And we're going to talk about reasons why and kind of dig into it and just understand it. Um, I want to talk about Moses because I think he's very important in this story. And do y'all know how many times, and I thought this was interesting, I wanted to read this. How many times Moses went up and down that mountain? At least, I have at least eight times that I have, that I have counted. And we're going to go through them. At least, think about that. I think this was a cultural change for Moses. I don't think this was just a, a mental ascent. I think this was his whole reality, obviously. And I think it has to be the same way with us. So I wanted to read about those different times that he went up and down that mountain. All right. And I got this from got, gotquestions.org. Anybody heard of that site? It's good. They got a lot of it. It's great. Um, some of the stuff is anything you read, you have to sift through it with your, I say, sift through it from your eyes from the Lord. Because sometimes we, we read things, we go, ah, oh, that's not it. Nope. And obviously, if it doesn't line up with Scripture, we just have to throw it out. So, at least in our mind. All right, the question is, how many times did Moses ascend Mount Sinai? Moses actually went up on Mount Sinai several times to meet God as recorded in Exodus 19 through the end of the book. Depending on the reckoning, Moses climbed Mount Sinai about eight times to meet with the Lord. The first ascent, three months after the exodus from Egypt, the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai. Moses' first trip up Mount Sinai is described in Exodus 19, verse 2 through 7. He ascends the mountain in verse 3 and comes back down in verse 7. On the mountain, God tells Moses that he is offering a covenant to the people of Israel. If they will keep the covenant, God will make them his own treasured possession and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Moses reports this message to the people and the people respond by saying, we will do everything the Lord has said. And that phrase, when it says they will do everything the Lord has said, it's another level of do everything they said. They said it's almost like the highest level of relationship, I believe, is when you trust somebody to tell you, you trust somebody's words so much that you believe them before you even hear it. That means they tell you that this is going to happen, and you believe them because it's them. You don't have to hear 
and get an explanation about it, but you just believe because you said it. Because Daphne said it, I need to believe it. Because we've been married for 28 years, and we need, we've developed a relationship. And I think that's what God and Israel was developing was that type of relationship. And Israel from the beginning said it was, a, I forgot the Hebrew phrase. Um, anyway, but they were basically saying, whatever you tell us to do, we will do. And I think we need to be that way with God. We have to, and it's hard. It's easy to say that, but it's harder to do it. Because we can say it all day. That I'm going to do everything you tell me to do, God, and then wait, give yourself five minutes, and then you might be lying to yourself. You know? But I think if we say it, we're, 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 we're coming into covenant with God. We're saying, you know what, God? Whatever you want us to do, I'm going to do it, period. I might not necessarily know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do whatever it is. So I'm going to continue to walk with him. So anyway, that was the first ascent. And again, God is developing this relationship with Israel. The second ascent. Moses returns to the top of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19.8 in order to relay the people's response to the offer of a covenant. God then tells Moses that he will speak audibly to Moses in a thick cloud so that all the people will put their trust in Moses as God's chosen leader. Moses descends the mount in verse 9 in order to relay this information to the children of Israel. See, it's a relationship that's developing. The third ascent in Exodus 19.10, God is speaking to Moses again, which implies that Moses may have again climbed Mount Sinai. Some scholars believe God's words in verse 10, were part of the discourse in verse 9. So this one's debatable, whether he actually climbed the mountain. Um, in any case, Moses is said to descend the mountain again in verse 14. Moses consecrates the people in preparation for the Lord's appearance on the mountain on the third day, which is verses 10 through 11. On the third day, there was thunder. Visualize this. There was thunder and lightning with a loud cloud over the mountain. Visualize yourself standing at the bottom of that mountain. I'm just, I visualize. Thunder, lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And as Rabbi talked about, I think it was last week, that trumpet blast is not like our trumpet blast. Where ours, we start blowing it and it starts getting um, lesser and lesser. But his trumpet blast was getting louder and louder and louder. Think about this, thunder lightning would you be afraid i probably would be terrified and the people were terrified let me keep reading the people of israel were understandably frightened then mount sinai was covered with smoke because the lord descended on it in fire the smoke billowed up up from it from smoke from a furnace like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder verses 18 through 19 the fourth ascent. Moses' fourth trip up Mount Sinai is described in Exodus 19, verses 20 through 25. God summons Moses to the top of the mountain in order to have him warn the people not to draw near the mountain while his presence is on Sinai. He also tells Moses to bring his brother Aaron up the mountain with him. Moses descends the mountain in verse 25. God then delivers the Ten Commandments audibly in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17. In fear, the people of Israel plead with Moses not to let God speak directly to them. And that's understandably, because all this stuff is going on, they're probably, they're just terrified in, of this picture of this God that they're about to go into a relationship with. 
even though they could have came to God directly, but they just didn't understand it yet because they're just starting a relationship. Um, the fourth is it's kind of like, again, like when somebody first gets married, you think you know each other when you first get married. But if anybody's been married longer than a day, sometimes you learn you really don't know each other. And you learn so much more after you've been with each other for years after years, and it just takes time to develop that relationship. All right, the fourth ascent. Moses, fourth trip up Mount Sinai, described in Exodus 19, 20 through 25. God summons, wait a minute, I just read that one. Uh, did I read that one? I'm going to read it again if I did. Um, God summons Moses to the top of the mountain in order to have him warn the people not to draw near. I read that one. That's the fourth ascent. Let's go to the fifth ascent. The fifth ascent. Moses returns to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, verse 21, as he approached the thick darkness where God was. At this time, God gives Moses various laws recorded in chapter 21 through 23, along with the promise to give the land of Canaan to the children of Israel. And that's Exodus chapter 23, verse 20 through 33. The sixth ascent. In Exodus 24, verse 1, Moses is summoned again to climb Mount Sinai. You know, Moses was in some serious shape. He was healthy. To climb mountains, I mean, he's going up to spend time with the Lord. Some of us don't even want to go for a walk. Anybody's there. All right, this time he is to bring Aaron, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel with him. See how he's developing them? He started off, he brought Aaron. Now he's bringing Aaron and his sons. He's bringing the 70. And next, he's, he's kind of bringing Israel. But he's bringing God to Israel. He's doing this. He's developing, he's developing them in a slow way. It seems slow, but it's not. Because, again, we're not in real time. We're not standing at the bottom of the mountain seeing thunder and lightning and all this other stuff. Um, this time he is to bring, I read that, the next morning Moses built an altar. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings and read the book of the covenant to the people who responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. Um, that was the word we talked about earlier. We will obey. To ratify the covenant, Moses sprinkled the people with, with the blood of the offering. After the ceremony, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the elders ascend the mountain. And there they saw the God of Israel. So did y'all hear that? Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, they saw the God of Israel at this time. Because they ascended the mountain. Um, under his, and it says, under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli. Can you read that? As bright as bright blue as the sky, Exodus 24.10. Amazingly, God allows these men to live, even though they, seen, they had seen God. In fact, they ate and drank on the mountain. So they got to spend time with God. Again, they're just developing this relationship. God then commands Moses to continue up Sinai in order to receive the stone tablets that God had prepared, that God had prepared in Exodus 24.12, which says that. Moses takes Joshua with him and sends the others down to the foot of Sinai. While Joshua waits, 
Moses continues the ascent. For six days, a cloud covers the top of the mountain. For six days. On the seventh day, God calls Moses to enter the cloud and approach the top of the mountain. Moses stays there for 40 days and 40 nights. So now Moses is getting ready to spend an extended amount of time with God. And now the people are at the bottom of the mountain. I'm sure there's things that are going through their mind. And we know what's going to happen next. We're getting to the part where it all went wrong. During this meeting on the mountain, God gives Moses much information. This included the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone by God himself. Moses also receives complete instructions on how to build the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and the altar, specifications for the priestly garments. Unfortunately, at the foot of the mountain, the Israelites had Aaron build the golden calf and were committing idolatry. And we're going to talk about that. Um, I believe it was idolatry, but maybe it wasn't what a lot of people think. It wasn't necessarily just outright, because I think a question here is, I think they knew that it was God who brought them out of Egypt, unless they were crazy. They seen the smoke, they seen the, the horn. How, at this moment, could they say, you know what, we're going to make another God? To me, that makes no sense. I don't think a logical person could sit here and, at least I can't, I can't, it just doesn't make sense to my brain to think, you know what, I'm going to go serve another God, even though I know they just, God just brought me out of Egypt. I was in slavery for over 400 years. I saw this smoke, all this other stuff on the mountain. Moses showing us all these things that God, he's speaking to us directly. And now I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to abandon all that and I'm going to go worship this golden calf. I just think it's not what we understand of it. And we're going to get in depth with that in a minute. I want to throw that picture out there. I like the pictures. All right, unfortunately, at the foot of the mountain, the Israelites had Aaron build the golden calf and were committing adultery, which I think is a little more to it than that. We're going to talk about it. When Moses and Joshua descend the mountain in Exodus 32, 19, and see what the people are doing, Moses breaks the stone tablets in anger. And this, I think he definitely, he does this. He then destroys the golden calf and disciplines the people. And again, this, this comes from gotquestions.org. The seventh ascent. Moses goes back to the Lord in Exodus 32, 32, in order to intercede on behalf of the children of Israel. This implies another ascent of Sinai. In a show of great love and mercy that anticipates the love and mercy of our Messiah, Moses offers his own life in exchange for the life of Israel. See, Moses, he puts himself in a position to really give his life away for Israel when we see that. Because he almost... He kind of backs God in a corner in a sense because God said, I'm getting ready to destroy these people and I'm going to start completely over with you. And Moses said, no, you can't do that. Now, that's some audacity to tell the God of Israel who you just spent all this time with. That means Moses really knew the heart of God. He knew that completely. And obviously the people, um, Israel didn't. And that's why they kind of did the things that they did. Um, all right, I'm going to keep going. Um, all right, the eighth ascent. In Exodus 34, 1 through 2, um, the Lord says to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. 
present yourself to me there on the top of, of the mountain. Moses is, is to come alone on the, on the top of the mountain. The Lord reveals himself to Moses and describes himself this way. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Moses worships the Lord and receives a repetition of the covenant, which he writes on the stone tablets. Moses is on Sinai for another 40 days and another 40 nights, and miraculously without eating bread and drinking water. Moses, when Moses comes back down to the people, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Wow. That's, that's called spending time with the Lord. You come out and you're shining. That's, that's some serious time with the Lord. I, I, I would love that. I would love that. So one day I come to the congregation, I'm just bright. Y'all like, whoa, what's wrong? That might terrify you, probably. Bright. See, they, thank you, Bobby. Got high five right there. Bam. All right. Amen to that. All right. It says, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Moses worshiped the Lord and receives a repetition of the covenant, which he writes on the stone tablets. Moses and Sinai, I read that. When Moses comes back down to the people, he was not aware that his face was radiant, so he wasn't aware of it. That his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He wasn't even thinking about it. He was just spending time with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near to him. So now they're afraid of Moses. First they were afraid of the Lord. Now they're afraid of Moses. And it's understandable. If you think about it, because you're a human. I always say, I don't need to see an angel to hear from the Lord. I really don't, because it probably terrifies. That's why you ever notice in the scripture, whenever an angel comes, what's the first thing angels, what are the first thing they normally say? Be not afraid, because you're in your body. You may want to jump out of your body. You see something extraterrestrial that you've never seen before, because it's outside of our world. It's outside of our norm, and it would terrify us. So, the events at Mount Sinai were monumental in the history of the world. God was creating for himself a new nation with new laws and a new way of life. The Lord showed himself to be a God who desires to communicate himself and to forge a relationship with his people. In giving the Torah, God revealed his holiness, clearly defined sins, and provided a guardian to eventually bring us to Messiah. That's the goal. It's always the goal of the Torah. The, the mediation of Moses on Sinai is a wonderful picture of the intercession of Messiah on behalf of believers. And again, that's the whole point of this story is God is he's attempting, he's walking us through a process to walk with him. And I wanted to read something to you about the Jewish people, which I think is really important. This book is it's called The History of the Jews. I've read this before by Paul Johnson. I feel like it's show and tell. Um, and he has reasons why he wanted to study Israel. Why is it important to study Israel? I think it's really important to study Israel. Some people go, that's not a big deal. I'm just going to read the Bible. Well, if you read the Bible for like five seconds... You've got to understand that Israel is, is the focus of the scripture. It's the focus. One of the focus. Let me read this. And this is the reason why he believed it. Um, I'll start reading here. It says, Find the book gave me the chance to reconsider objectively in the light of a study covering over nearly 4,000 years the most intractable of all human questions. What on earth are we here for? Is history merely a series of events whose sum is meaningless? Is there no 
fundamental moral difference between the history of the human race and the history of, say, of ants? Or is there a providential plan of which we are, however humbly, the agents? No people has ever insisted more firmly than the Jews that, the, that history has a purpose and humanity a destiny. I believe that. At a very clear stage in their collective existence, they believed they had detected a divine scheme for the human race, for which their own society was to be a pilot. They worked out their role in the immense detail. They clung to it with heroic per persistence in the face of savage suffering. Many of them believe it still. Others transmitted it into Promethean endeavors to raise our condition by purely human means. The Jewish vision became the prototype for many similar grand designs for humanity, both divine and man-made. The Jews, therefore, stand right at the center of the perennial attempt to give human life the dignity of a purpose. Does their own history suggest that attempts are worth making, or does it reveal their essential futility? Futility. The account that follows, the result of my own inquiry, will I, I, will, will I hope help its readers to answer these questions for themselves. And again, this is just some reasons why he studied the Jewish people. But I think we need, as Bible believers, we need to study the history of the Jewish people because that's our history. And a lot of times we miss that. Even if you're Jewish or you're non-Jewish, this is my history. And we need to see them as our ancestors, even if I am not Jewish. Because if you're in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So that means these people, when we talk about Moses, these are my people. When I'm talking about these people at the bottom of the mountain, these are my... And if we see it that way, I think it'll change our perception of the scripture and understanding the Torah, if that makes sense. Let's talk about a lot of questions. I want to start... And a lot of this I got from, um, a lot of these resources I got, um, I know some of y'all listen to, a lot of us listen to um, H.com, Rabbi David Foreman. A lot of the resources I use, I get from him. Um, I get from other places as well, but a lot of this is, I got it from him. Um, so, uh, the question, the first question I want to start with is, where does the sin of the golden calf take place chronologically? Where does it start in our view of history? Well, let's go to our timeline. Well, in our view of history, today is 2018, right? If you don't know that, then that's a shame. Just joking. All right, it's 2018. If we go backwards in time, this is kind of a timeline. It's a, I like this timeline. It just kind of gives us a gauge of where we are. But about 4,000 B.C. was creation. Y'all see that? 2,500 B.C. was the flood. So about 1446 was the time of the Exodus. In the time of the Exodus, this was obviously about the time of the sin of the golden calf, just to put it in retrospect of history. And if we put it in retrospect of the scripture, it starts, the sin of the golden calf, the story probably starts in Exodus either 32 verse 1 or Exodus 31 18. And let's read that. All right, Exodus 32, verse 1. 
And this is one possible place. And I say a possible place because the scripture, there are 22 words in the Hebrew alphabet. And that's all. That's like our language that God gave us for the scripture. That's it. The chapters are not inspired. Because the chapters were, are a later added addition. So sometimes they, they may have sectioned something off in the scripture. And maybe they could have sectioned it off in another place. So it's good to understand that as we're reading the scripture. So this is one good place that it may have started. Um, uh, Exodus 32 verse 1 says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves against, together to Aaron and said to him, Up make us gods who shall go before us. So they said, let's make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses, the man. And this I think where I left off last week. They say, as for this Moses the man, why did they say Moses the man? Why didn't they just say Moses? Did they not know he was a man? They could have said this Moses the extraterrestrial. He's not extraterrestrial. But they said this Moses the man, um, there was a, there's a reason for that. Let me keep reading. As for this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Hmm. And that's one place that it could have started. Another place... I'm going to go back to verse 31, chapter 31, verse 18. It said, and he gave Moses, and he gave Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai. Remember, this is actually after the 40 days. So it says he gave Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So at this point, he actually gave him the, the tablets to go ahead and go down the mountain. So maybe this is a possible place that it started, or the other verse is a possible place that it could have started, just for foundation. Um, what does the golden calf, the golden calf, the Hebrew word for golden calf is the agol, have to do with the two tablets? Is there any connection between this golden calf and the tablets? Well, the centerpiece of the Mishkan is the ark. And inside the ark is the luchot. Luchot is the Hebrew word for um, tablets. It's either luchot ha'edut or the, the luchot ha'ibrit. And the difference between those, the, luch, the luchot ha'ibrit is the tablets of the covenant. The luchot ha'edut is the tablets of testimony. And that's just a Hebrew word for it. And why? What are the tablets testifying to? I'm throwing a lot of questions out there. I'm doing this on purpose. I'm trying to create something. But why are the tablets testifying? We have these words written on this stone that God wrote down to humanity. What are they testifying? I think we understand that it was a covenant between God and Israel, right? But what are they testifying to? It says they're also the, the Luchot Ha'edut which is the tablets of testimony. And we're going to get to it. And the question here says, what do the tablets testify to? What are the problems with the story of the sin of the golden calf? Just to lay out some. And I say the problem. The problem is, it's not a problem, but it's just how we understand it. So it's not a problem, like, but it's how we understand it. Um, chronologically, placement of the story. Um, is it when he, when he is at the top of the mountain? He has been there for 40 days. This is a great moment. Um, there's an event of epic history. And again, I, I tried to paint that picture earlier, but think about it. He's at the top of the mountain. They're at the bottom of the mountain, worshiping a golden calf. He's at the top of the mountain. He's spending time with God. 
there at the bottom of the mountain. See the picture. If there were any moment that it was clear that God is real in this world, I think this would be it. What do y'all think? If there's any moment on this planet, I would think everybody under that mountain would know that God is real in this world. Maybe not now. I think if, I know, I believe that God is real. But if I was watching the mountain and all this stuff and loudness, and I know that God is real. I know that he just brought me out of Egypt. I believe that God is real. I was in slavery for over 400 years. God is real. All right. It says here, if there were any moment that it was clear that God, I read that, this has to be the worst time in my mind and in Rabbi David Foreman's mind to worship the golden calf. I think this would be the worst time in history. So think about it. This is the worst time. So I think maybe there's another explanation, something else just to think about. So why would they worship this golden calf? There are times where human beings do perverse things for no reason. Sometimes we do things and there's no logic behind it. Have you ever done something and you go, why did I do that? That was just dumb. I have. I think all of us have. We've done things and we go, I don't even know why I did. I think sometimes humans do that. There's something called the imp of the perverse. Um, and it's a writing. Um, it's a metaphor for the urge to do exactly the wrong thing in a given situation for the sole reason that it is possible for wrong to be done. And that happens to us. The impulse is compared to an imp. An imp is a small demon, it's a writing, which leads an otherwise decent person into mischief. And this is by Edgar Allan Poe. It says, why the imp in your brain gets out. The single, that single thought is enough, wrote Edgar Allan Poe in The Imp of the Perverse, an essay on unwanted impulses. The impulse increases to a wish, the wish to a desire the desire to an uncontrollable longing. And sometimes people do things just because of that reason, because we were just ignorant, and we just did it, and it happens. Maybe that's why they um, worship the golden calf. That could be the reason. I don't think it is, knowing that all this is going on. I think there's another reason. Think about this. God was ready. God was ready to destroy the people. He was ready to destroy the people. Moses interceded, and God forgave them. It seems very repetitive, just to understand the story. It seems very repetitive that Moses kept going back and forth up the mountain. If you visualize the story, and we won't read the whole story, because I think most of us know the story. The story is really quick. It says that they were worshiping this golden calf at the bottom. That story is very short. And then later, it spends verse after verse, talking about Moses going back up and down the mountain talking with God. What was he doing? He was interceding. He was pleading for the people. All right, some more questions. Um, I believe there's a process that's unfolding here. God is really ready to destroy the people. I believe the process ends with forgiveness, but I believe he's really ready to destroy the people. But there are many stages. And if you go through it, I think there are at least 10 stages if you read through the story. I believe there's a slow process of rehabilitation in this relationship. Their relationship was almost completely destroyed by an act of betrayal. The problem is that when you know the end of the story, again, it's hard to read it with any suspense. And that's the challenge. Okay, here's a side bubble thought. When there's a betrayal in a relationship, is it possible to rebuild that relationship? Is it possible? 
Sure. You, have you had, and I think all of us have had relationships that were so bad, sometimes we think it's not possible because maybe they betrayed you in such a way that was so far out there. You say, you know what? There is no way to b- build this relationship. I believe this is a model that God is showing us of how to rebuild a relationship. Because this is what Moses was doing. He was going back up and forth down that mountain. He was rebuilding a relationship. And the question is, how do you step back from the edge of the cliff? How do we do it? It's tough. How could they have done this? And what happens after all of this? What was Moses' role? All right, Exodus 31, 18 through 32, 6. Oh, let me read this. Um, They say we don't know what happened to Moses. Let's read that. We're going to read 31, 18 to 32, 6. Uh, let's start here at 32.6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves against Aaron, together to Aaron and said to him, Up make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them up to me. So all the people took off the rings, gold, that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. They said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Hmm. They rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Let me keep reading. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Think about this. Before that, he knew, God knew what was going on. Obviously, right? He knew that beforehand, but now he's just saying at this moment, and the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make make a great nation of you. Wow. What if you're in that position? What are you going to do? All right, God, guess we're going to make another great nation. No. Moses steps in. He intercedes. And understand that Moses had to put himself in with the people. Because did Moses worship the golden calf? No. He's not in this at all. Moses places himself in with the people that he didn't, it wasn't his fault. So he completely put himself in a position to step between. Kind of like a Messiah. That's why I believe that's important. It says, but Moses, now notice the story. It didn't take long to talk about the sin of the golden calf. But now we're going to talk about the rehabilitation process, which kind of takes a long time. All right, let me keep reading. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? You're, you're asking God, why, do, why are you angry with your people? That's what, he, that's what Moses asked God. Whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with the mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, 
with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from, face, from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Wow. So basically Moses was saying, you know what? God, if you destroy these people, it's going to look bad. It's going to be a bad public relation outfit. Okay? We don't want to do this. It's going to look bad to the Egyptians. Why is he caring about the Egyptians? Does God care about the Egyptians? Yes, absolutely. All those plagues was really love that God had for the Egyptians. It was. We say, how can the ten plagues be love for the Egyptians? He was showing them him. He was showing them indirectly himself. And there were, I'm sure, matter of fact, we know there were mixed multitudes that connected with Israel that came out of that situation. Now, and I guarantee it wasn't just, it wasn't just Egypt. I guarantee it was countries that were around that area that heard about all these commandments, not commandments, they heard about all these plagues and heard about all these things. See, God is loving on humanity, but it all started with Israel. And when it started with Israel, the whole point is that we are to connect to these people that God, God started loving on. That's why it's so important to learn about the Jewish people in Israel. That's why. Uh, let me get back to my questions. All right, I want to talk about Rashi. Rashi quotes in the Midrash. I love the Midrash, even though, like I, I've said it before, but sometimes when you read the Midrash, for me it feels like I'm cheating because they give you, they give you so much insight. And sometimes when you read the Midrash, sometimes it sounds like they're so far out there that they have lost their mind. Has anybody seen that before? You go, what in the world are they saying? But you know what? If, if sometimes we take a closer look, they're really sometimes saying something indirectly. So we should read it. Say It's not God's word. I understand that. But we should still read it. It's almost like you're getting insight from somebody who studied this for centuries. That's why it's so important because they build. They study it. They've been reading it all their lives. They've dedicated their lives to this. So why would I not study this? Well, anyway, let's read this. Um, Rashi quotes in the Midrash. The Hebrew says, this Moses, the man. And this is what I talked about earlier. But he is not there. It's like they are pointing to something. This is a midrash. It's not the scripture. They said the reason why they sinned is because Satan showed them a picture of a dead Moses. That's from the midrash. I go, wow, where'd that come from? When I read it, I was like, what in the world? It's like they were pointing up to the sky saying, this Moses, the man. They thought Satan showed them a picture of a dead Moses. What are we to take or make out of this Midrash? I'm not saying it's right or they actually saw it. Maybe they saw it, maybe they didn't. But that's what they were thinking. And I thought this was interesting. It's, inter it's interesting that Satan, this is from Midrash, is depicted as being the enemy here. Because this is an outright lie. Right? Because Moses wasn't dead. Moses was not dead. So that means the enemy is from this midrash, the enemy they're saying showed them an outright lie. You get that? Understand this. Um, it's interesting that Satan is depicted as being the enemy here, but in many Jewish commentaries, Satan is depicted not as the enemy in that way. He's depicted as just another agent by God. 
So if you ever study, if anybody's seen that, sometimes, it's, especially in the book of Job, it's almost like we look at the enemy, we don't look at him as, as a liar. Like in John 10.10, 10, we know that it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I've come, we know as believers in Messiah that the enemy is there to steal, kill, and destroy. But if you talk to some, um, some people who are Jewish and they have that understanding, they don't see Satan that way. A lot of them see Satan as just another angel, like an angel of darkness that works for God as well. But in this instance, it's not that way. Just thought I'd point that out. Um, is Satan, is Satan, is, excuse me, is Satan's job, oh here it is, is Satan's job here God's agent or a liar? I'm just throwing that out. I believe this is a bald-faced lie that Moses was dead. Immediately after the calf is made, they say, hear this, this is your God who took you out of Egypt. How could they possibly say this? And I, I, I really agree with uh, Rabbi David Foreman in this. Um, did they forget the Ten Commandments? Did they forget everything that God had done for them? What was the goal, what was the goal of the golden calf? What were they thinking? This seems completely irrational to me. And it does to Rashi as well. Did Satan convince the people that Moses was dead? If they really thought Moses died, what would be their response? Think about it. They really thought Moses was dead. Would their res- what would their response be? Would they probably mourn him? And I like to think about this. What was their response when Moses died? Well, they mourned him. That's what they did. Um, and in this instance, they're not sad. And here's some more questions. Why did they use a golden calf? Why not a hamburger? Or, you know, a hamburger. Why not, okay, maybe a calf is, could be made to a hamburger. Why not a, why not a carrot? Why'd they use a calf? Where'd that come from? I don't know, great question. If you were God, at what point would you have become angry in the story? It said they consecrated, gathered against Aaron. This is only three times mentioned in scripture. Um, let me get to this. Aaron told the people to take off, this is good, Aaron told the people to take off their gold and bring them to him. The word used is a strong word when, it says, when he told them to take off their gold. It seems like they are taking off themselves and not the gold from the language. Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who, ha- who could, excuse me, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. So they threw the gold in, and then this calf, this gold just all of a sudden just appeared. See the picture. Does that make any sense? And I think sometimes when it doesn't make sense, you've got to ask other questions. That's why the midrash is good sometimes. I love it. It just kind of fills in the gaps sometimes. You go, oh, that makes sense. Go, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. Maybe they skipped something. All right, let me keep reading. Aaron takes, takes the gold and throws it into the fire. They said, this is the God that took us out of Egypt. God still does not respond. Going back to the story. Aaron builds an altar and says, there is a holy day unto the specific name of God. He seems to be trying to channel their energy. It seems like Aaron saw something getting out of control. Finally, God comes down and essentially says it's over 
this next day. So why didn't God just put a stop to it the first day? There's so much more to it. This story gets really deep. There, there were many moments for God to object, but why does God wait until the party the next day? Another um, commentary, the Ramban. Everybody heard of Ramban? Nachmanides. Moses says, Moses says, what have you done to bring upon these people this terrible sin? Aaron's response is, don't become so angry. You know the people. Now Aaron tells, first, remember, Moses tells God, don't become angry. And then Aaron tells Moses, don't become angry. Remember that? It says Aaron's response is, so don't become so angry. You know the people. What do you mean? Don't become angry. That's, that's my question. How could Aaron say this same phrase? And if you look in the Hebrew, it's the same phrase that he used with God by saying not to become angry. Another question. I know I'm throwing a lot of questions out. How come the people abandon the calf when Moses comes down the mountain? If they really thought this was their new God. They just, why didn't they just stay with the new God? They see Moses is late coming down the mountain. This Moses, the man, I think they, they knew Moses was a man. What did they mean about this Moses, the man? Get up and make us a God that will go before us because this Moses, the man who took us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Does this mean that they didn't know that Moses took them out of Egypt? No, they were not idiots. This, this man, Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, there is a different Hebrew word when they refer to God's contribution and man's contribution to take them out of Egypt. The language used about the, the calf is the same language that is used about Moses. I think this sums it up, at least some of it. They're not looking to replace God. I don't think at all. I think they were just looking to replace Moses. That was it. They were looking to replace him. Not God at all. Because they knew it was God that took them out. But if you think about it, they needed and. They needed a go-between between themselves and God. Because see the picture. They saw Moses. He went up there. Fire, smoke. They're terrified. And they said, we need something to go between us and God. It was, this is the mask. And I believe, and this is something that Rabbi David Foreman was on his teaching here. He says that the golden calf was simply a mask that they needed to go between them and God. Y'all see that? That was wrong, obviously, but I think that was their mask. The mask was, you know what? I can't go before God. That's why they said, this Moses, the man? So basically they're saying, a man can't do this. He was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. They thought Moses probably was dead. They probably thought he was gone. And they needed a go-between. And their go-between was this golden calf. And why did they think calf? Remember this, what I read earlier? And it said they threw this gold in and out popped a calf? How did out pop a calf? I think they were thinking calf, and that's what came out. Because what does a calf do? Think about what a calf does to its mother. Sucks, gets the milk, right? So that's what they were wanting. They wanted something that would, that would, that would receive from God. That makes sense? So they wanted, so that golden calf was there to receive from God from them because they didn't want to do it themselves. Because remember at the mountain, they say, you know what? 
Moses, you go before God because I'm not going up there and all that smoke and fire and all that stuff. You do that. And then they saw Moses. He was gone for 40 days and 40 nights, and Moses didn't come back. So they said, you know what? We need a replacement for Moses. But it, it can't be a human. That's why they did, that's why they chose this calf, because they need a replacement for him. And we do this all the time. See, God wants to love on each one of us. And sometimes we have a replacement for us getting in the presence in our relationship with God. Think about that. What are some things that we put in the way from us relating to God? Hmm. It could be congregation. Maybe, I, maybe I've made uh, such a habit out of coming to congregation every week, but I don't really stop and spend time to develop my relationship with God. Because we can do that all the time. We got masks all day. You got people who've been married for 28 years. Not us. Anyway, uh, you got people who have been married for 20 or many, many years, and they really don't know each other because they have masks up all day. They put on a front. They're phony. They don't have real conversation. God wants each one of us to have a real conversation with him. He wants us to love on him. Because, again, we can do things just because, and I started off talking about why I studied the scripture, what was the whole reason why I wanted to study in the first place. It's not because I want to have a message. It's because I want to change me, and it has to be personal. And I believe Israel, to go back to them, they didn't want to make it personal. And I say they because I think for many reasons, they were probably terrified. They didn't know how to have a relationship with him. So they say, you know what? We need this calf. So really, it wasn't a replacement for God. I believe it was a replacement for Moses. And I believe what we had, we had a broken relationship. And the broken relationship was recovered because Moses interceded. Because Moses took the time, he went back and forth, and we need to do the same thing. Some of us have a broken relationship right now with God. Because we've offended our God. Because he wants to have a relationship. I know this. I believe I know this. God wants to have a relationship with us more than we want to have one with him. God loves us so much, he is actively pursuing us. And if you visualize that, God sent us books, the scripture. He sent us letters. He sent us flowers, the, 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 the universe. He sent, us, he sent us all of this. He sent us people to talk to us about God. And it, it really all goes down to us stopping and developing our relationship with him. That's the whole point. And here it says, how do we repair a broken relationship? Is it possible? Absolutely. We just got to stop. And repent and actively think about it. Like me and Daphne were talking last night about some things. And we started our conversation um, the night before. And we had to finish it the next day. Because it was that important. Sometimes we need to do that with the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes we go to our prayer closet. And we're doing all the talking. But we're not listening. Does anybody do that? I'm going to raise my hand. Both hands. Sometimes we go in and pray. Lord I need this. And this right here. And this right here. And God says shut up. You just need to listen. Sometimes we need to go to our prayer closet or wherever we pray. Maybe we need to go in there with some paper and a pencil and just listen to him speak to us. And I think it needs to be that intimate. Because if it's not, I just think we're missing out. It's not that we're not believers, that we're not saved. That's not it at all. I believe God is trying to take us to another level of a relationship. He's trying to make it, our relationship need to be that real with him. And this will be a great place to end. What is your mask?
Don't judge Israel like we don't have things we need to remove. I just want to throw that out there. Because we have a lot of things in our lives that we need to unmask. We need to open up the door for the Lord. Say, you know what, Lord? I need you to help me with my pride. I need you to help me with my anger. I need you to help me with my complacency. Did I step on anybody's toes yet? Should I keep going? I need you to help me with my um, frustration with other people because they're not doing what I think they need to do. You get the point, right? We need to open up to God. And as we do that, God develops us. God loves on us. And he's going to, I said last slide. This is the last slide for real. I believe atonement, and obviously I don't have time to get into it, but I believe atonement, if you go back and study the scripture, is simply realignment. It's repair. All of us need repair. All of us, at every moment in our life, we're going to continually need repair for the rest of our lives. We're going to keep going back to God. That's why we come to congregation. We get a little more repair. We go back out into the world. We get messed up again. We get knocked over. We come back here, get a little more repair. That's the point. We're going to do this for the rest of our lives. As, we, as Rabbi Arne, I love as he says, as we walk with God and we do the feast, it's like a spiral. We keep getting closer and closer and walk with God a little more, a little more as we ascend. Are we ever going to reach it and be there? No, don't even, I'm just saying we're not. We're going to get a little better every time. Hopefully you can see now, today, where you're better than you were yesterday. Or maybe five years ago. Or ten years ago. We need to go back and re-look at those things and think about them. So I think this would be a great place to end. So let's pray. Thank you so much. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we love you. Lord, and I just thank you for revealing yourself to each person here that's under my voice, Lord. Thank you for speaking directly. Lord, show us how to remove that mask. Show us how to own up to that mask, Lord. And if there's some things that we need to deal with, show us how to deal with those things. If it takes a day, if it takes a month to deal with those things, show us how to deal with them so we can better ourselves for us to walk with you and so that we can share with others so that they can walk with you as well. And I give you praise for everything you're going to do in Yeshua's name. Amen.